Welcome to the Bethel Church Podcast. Each week you'll be able to check in for our messages from Sunday and other material. We hope that our messages encourage you in your walk and daily faith with Jesus. Make sure to check out our website, BethelStratford.org. This morning, we're going to continue in our series on weird and being weird. And so if you're visiting with us, don't worry, we are weird, um, but we're just the good kind of weird. And so that's the whole idea of this is because if we're truly honest, if you think about your life, normal isn't working for us. If everybody wants to try to be normal, but how many people know normal's just not working? So I have a question for you. This week, after last week, we talked about um, using our time more wisely, spending time together as a family, trying to put some stuff away. And so and when I say put stuff away, I mean like technology, stuff like that. So how many of you tried to have some uninterrupted time with the Lord this week? Who tried? You can raise your hand up good. It's all right. Don't be embarrassed about spending time with Jesus. If you're going to raise your hand about anything, this is probably it. All right, so now here's the other question. How many of you actually went, and whether you bought one or you just found one in your house, but you got a technology basket? Anybody? Anybody? One? I just want you to know, that's the only one. Both services. So I'm just letting you know, if you don't feel like you need a technology basket, your spouse probably thinks you do. So I'm going to encourage everybody to get a technology basket because here is what I guarantee. I have actually done it at our own family events. We've actually pulled out baskets at family events and made everybody put their phones in them because we have walked into living rooms, and I'm a part of it. I've seen other people walk into the living room, and they stand there and look, and I look around, and I'm like, oh, I'm involved. And you have a group of family members. You're all sitting around, but you're all staring at your devices, texting people that aren't in the room with you. And so I encourage you, put them away, spend some time together, and get a technology basket. If you're not sure to get one, Dollar Store has them for like a buck 25. It's a great investment. This morning, we're going to continue in our series, we're going to read our key verse for this whole series. It's Matthew 7, starting at verse 13, and it says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. I'm praying this morning as we continue in this series that you begin to find the narrow road. I don't necessarily think everybody here is on this massive highway, but I believe that there's areas in our lives that need to get narrower. And I believe that every one of us is working towards that. And this morning, we're going to talk about probably the hardest part of this narrow road. And the hardest part of this narrow road as we follow God is when it comes to our wallets. See, it gets really quiet. <laughs> and if you're here this morning, and this is maybe your first time or your second time with us, I can tell you that in the six years I've been here, this is the second time I've spoken on money. And I just want you to know if you were here back in like September, that was like the first time. So if you were here then and this time, and you think all I talk about is money, I don't, I promise. All right, so it's kind of neat that I haven't talked about it like at all in six years, and now I'm hitting it twice in like less than two months. And so for all of you, I apologize, not really, but I do. Um, 
just because I honestly believe the biggest part of our walk with God and trying to walk on the narrow road is when it comes to our wallets. So Matthew 6, 24, here's what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and the devil. Is it interesting to you that it doesn't say the devil? The scripture verse says you can serve both God, you can't, sorry, you cannot serve both God and money. See, I don't know about you, but when I think about serving something, you can't serve both. You either serve one master, you're going to hate one or dislike the other, you're, uh, you hate one or love the other. The thing with it is this, here's what you have to understand. When I think of good and evil, you think of a good guy, right? And you think of a bad guy. So when all of a sudden I think of like Luke Skywalker and Dark Vader, I don't, like, it's weird for me that when Jesus is talking about a serving one of two masters, that he talks about serving God or money. He realizes that we will serve money over the devil. Now, can I be clear? Scripture does not say that money is the root of all evil. Scripture says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Okay? So if, if you know a Christian who's rich, it doesn't mean that they're horrible. It just means they probably might be doing something right and God's blessing them. Because here's the thing, we will serve God or we will serve money. I already realize this is going to be a quiet Sunday morning, all right? I know that when you talk on this stuff, there's not a lot of really amens, and I'm not necessarily expecting you to, because a lot of times when we say amens on this stuff, it's almost at an awkward spot. And so you can agree with me and you can disagree with me, but I want you to know I'm going to read you scripture. So it's only going to be Bible and I'm going to talk to you about what God's working in my life. So here's the thing. One of the two will direct your life. Jesus will direct your life or money will direct your life. You're going to follow Jesus or you're going to follow your money. You're either going to do what Jesus asked you to do or you will live by what your money dictates. Because you will not, none of us work more because we enjoy it. Unless you have this like, incredible job, and I can't even think of one that would make me work all the time, all right? You might, but most of, the, most of us, if we're completely honest, we work not because we enjoy it, because of other, other, two other reasons. One, you want more money or you need more money. Those are the two reasons. Because if every one of us was honest, if we had enough money, we would not work, Right? Vacation somewhere, golfing, maybe fishing, whatever you like to do, that's what you're doing. So we work because of money. Martin Luther, he actually says this there are three conversions necessary in your life the conversion of your heart, 
your mind and purse. And a lot of times for believers, it goes in that order. We will give our heart to the Lord. Then we'll start to realize that we need to think more like the Lord. Not all believers will get to a point where they trust the Lord with not just some, but all of their money. So we need to give God our heart, our mind, and our money. Today we're going to talk about weird money. We're going to talk about being weird with our money. See, we understand that in today's society that money is a problem. Money is an issue. And if you really think about it, the way our society works, and if we're honest, society is not much different than the church. If we're talking honestly about ourselves, it's not that we, when we think about it, we never have enough money and we always want more. It doesn't matter how much money you have, you will always want more. See, it used to be normal living paycheck to paycheck. Today, the only difference is we live from automatic deposit to automatic deposit. We're still living in this paycheck to paycheck mentality. But here is the issue if we're truly honest with ourselves, it's never an income problem. It's a spending problem. It's not necessarily that you don't make enough. It's just that we spend too much. Ecclesiastics 5.10, it actually tells us this. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. See, we can look at society today and we can look at our world and say, man, our society is so messed up when it comes to money. We just, we're so in debt. Everybody is buried in debt. But here's what you have to realize. This is Solomon way before Jesus. So society hasn't changed. Maybe our cost of living has gone up, but the way we do it still is the same. Whoever loves money, if we're honest, we've never had enough money. We'd always like some more. And we're never satisfied with our income. We never have enough. We spend without having it. And we want what others have. Do you realize in the, in the garden, right from the beginning... Adam and Eve are in the garden, and what, are they, where, what trees are they allowed to eat from? All. All of the trees they're allowed to eat from, except for one. Except for one. And so what does the devil do? What does the devil do? The devil takes their eyes off of everything they have and makes them look at the one thing they're not allowed How often does the enemy do that with you? How often does he take your eyes off of the things that you have and makes you want the things that you don't? The University of Warwick in the UK, they completed a study. And they called the study Money and Happiness. Listen to this and let this be a gut check for you as it was for me. And be honest with yourself. Rank of income, 
not income, affects life satisfaction. Well, Chad, what does that mean? Here's what they said. The research concluded that for most people, I understand not everybody, but most of us, if we're honest, for most people to feel happy about how much money they have, it has to be more than what their friends and colleagues have. How horrible is that? But if we're honest, you may not be there now, but you probably were at one point. And I'm not saying you're a horrible person. This is what they're saying most people are like. It doesn't matter how much I make as long as I make more than you. Have you ever noticed that if you get something brand new, how happy you are? How excited you are? You ever bought something for your house and you walk by it and every time you walk by it, it puts a smile on your face? If maybe you physically could, you would do a cartwheel. Right? There's excitement inside and you walk by it and you're like, I can't believe that's ours. I'm so excited. And then you go to somebody's house and they have a nicer one. And your joy's gone. This is where we're at. My joy is connected to my things as long as they're nicer than yours. Do you ever notice, anybody ever buy a new car? Anybody? Or anybody, forget new, just anybody buy a car. How's that? Let's do that. There are more, lots more hands here. All right. A lot of us are in the same category. Uh, no, but, it's, but everybody, whether it's brand new or whether it's used, have you ever bought one going, oh, I'll get that one because look at how unique the color is. Nobody else has one like this. And then you get in it and you drive off the lot and you're like, did everybody go to the dealership and get their car painted? You begin to see all the other cars that are just like yours and you kind of go, oh, I remember when uh, we were given a Dodge Nitro, and what you have to realize is Dodge Nitro was like one of my favorite vehicles, and when I got it, when they gave it to me, I was so excited. Yes, I was given a car. I was given multiple cars, honestly. God's favors just ain't fair sometimes. Uh, now, I'll be honest. The Dodge Nitro was sweet. The very first car I was given, bless my dad, it was a Dodge Shadow. If you don't remember what those are like, it's because you don't remember what those are like. Um, but it got me around. And so here's the thing. I get in this Dodge Nitro. I'm so excited. And in my mind, nobody has one of these. And then I start driving it. And everybody had one. <laughs> Our excitement is attached to our status. Have you ever heard the statement, keeping up with the Joneses? Right? We're excited to have something until we realize somebody else has it different. And guys, we're horrible at this. We can't even be happy for one another. This is what I see all the time with a lot of guys. And, it, and it's, nobody's trying to be rude, but we don't realize what we're doing. And it's a comparison game. I've seen guys so excited and so happy 
and they'll just be talking to a bunch of guys. It might be right after Christmas, might be right after Father's Day or their birthday or something. And a man will go like, oh man, I just got the new, a new TV. I'm so excited. I just got this 54-inch television. And one guy standing right there be like, oh, that's nice. I have a 60-inch. We just can't allow other people to be happy. And that person who was all excited, literally inside, their excitement's gone. Because we compare all the time. We live a life of comparison. And here's what you have to realize. Social media does this to all of us. Right? Nobody posts your failures. Right? Melissa is not in here now, and I think she's not in here because of this illustration from the first service. Because I ran over to her. But nobody in the room, including myself, like when you post pictures of you and your spouse or your family, you post pictures of like, hey, look, we're out for dinner. Look how wonderful it is. Look how cheerful it is. Like I said in the first service, I ran over to Melissa. I'm trying to take a selfie. It doesn't work. She's not in here. Somebody tell her, hey, the illustration wasn't as good because you weren't in the room, okay? Somebody just <laughs> let her know. Um, she's probably listening on a TV, and I'm in so much trouble now. Um, but you don't post a picture of like, hey, look, we're fighting. <laughs> right? Hey, look, I think my wife's about to stab me. <laughs> right? Like, none of us are posting these photos. We post all the photos of the good moment. And let's be honest, you could have the worst week ever with your spouse, with your kids. You could literally been yelling the whole week at each other. And all of a sudden, you go on a date for coffee because you know you need to talk it through. And when you're sitting there, you just drink the coffee because you know you probably can't talk. But you'll still post a photo of the coffee and your spouse going, out on a nice coffee time. We're not talking because we just want to kill each other. <laughs> right? Like, this is, we compare our lives to everybody's highlight reel. We don't share the stories online of when we get it wrong. So therefore, we think we're the only ones that get it wrong. Emma, when she was learning how to ride a bike... Uh, she started riding her bike, and uh, just as we took the training wheels off, she started riding and on the sidewalk, and she did a good job. So we had the incredible idea as great parents to say, hey, look, she started riding without training wheels. You know what would be great? We should take the family, and we should go for a walk around the river, and Miles and Emma can ride their bikes. And so Melissa and I, we get down to the river, they get on their bikes, and they start to bike. And honestly, I'm not exaggerating, I'm not trying to compare, but I honestly believe because the kids were riding their bikes, and it was just Melissa and I, I honestly think we were actually holding hands, going for this lovely stroll as a family, and everything's wonderful, until Emma gets, you know that little speed wobble? <laughs> right? She starts getting that little wobble. And as a dad, I'm about, probably both from here to the back doors away from her at this point, and this is all I'm thinking. Fall right, fall right, go right, go right, go right, go right, go right. She turns left to the river. <laughs> Front tire straight into the river, straight up over the handlebars, face first into the water. Luckily for us, because the bike's kind of on her, luckily for us, shallow enough water, she can kind of push up and get her head out of the water. So I'm booking it down, jump in, like, throw her up in the air out of the water and save her life. Amen. 
no, I jump in, I lift her up, I did lift her out, and you're just like, what were we thinking? She just started riding a bike, and we thought, let's bike three feet from a lake or a river. This is the safest thing we can do as parents. I want you to know, we didn't share that on social media. I wait for a good sermon illustration. But see, these are the things that as a parent, we think, oh my goodness, if people knew this happened, what would they think? No, we all, we all mess up. But our comparison game is what gets us in trouble in our own lives and in the lives with our finances. Do you know that society, I just read this, somebody in, in town, they, they posted this online, and society is just catching up with the idea, and medical doctors are doing, uh, catching on, and uh, therapists are catching on, that the idea of when we begin to be thankful for what we have, it actually shifts our mind. And you've heard it before, I've said it before, that gratitude will actually change your attitude. That when we begin to be thankful for what we have, it will shift the way we think. Craig Rochelle in his book, Weird, it says on page 67, Therefore, we're never satisfied, always wanting more, never appreciation, never, and never appreciate all that we've been given. Once again, being normal is killing us. If we begin to be thankful for what we have, our lives will change. I've told you before, and I've challenged you to try this. I thank the Lord regularly for what I have. Start today. Write down. Take a, get a notepad and write down five things, three things that you're thankful for. Well, Chad, I just don't have a lot of things to be thankful for. Well, do you have a roof over your head? Well, yeah. Do you have some food? Yeah. Do you have shoes on your feet right now? Well, yeah. Are you breathing? Can you walk? Can you see? Can you hear? These are all things that if you take for granted, you'll find somebody in your life that lacks it and would love to have what you have. Luke 12, 16 to 21 says, And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and big builder, uh, build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, You have plenty of grain laid up for many years Take life easy, eat, drink, be merry, go golfing. And God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, not, but is not rich toward God. See, there is the balance. We have to prepare. We have to prepare for the future. We have to be wise. And here it's not saying that you can't. It actually says, this is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. So it's not bad that you store up. 
But what is God asking you to do? Are you willing to give? See, to begin to honor God with our money, we first need to admit something. And every one of us in this room, we need to admit this. We need to admit that we are rich. And see, that's difficult for most of us in the room. It's difficult for most of us because here's what it is. It's not normal. Because you want to know why I don't think I'm rich? Because I think you have more. I think you have more than I do. Well, I can't be rich. You see what so-and-so in the book, I forget the percentages this morning, but if you make over $37,000 a year, I think you're in the top like 80% of the world for income. If you make over $45,000 a year, you are in the top 1% in the world. Most of the world lives on $2 a day. You want to know something? That's how much we pay for coffee. We are so rich. But we can't admit that we're rich because we're buried in debt. And see, getting out of debt is like losing weight. There are no tricks or gimmicks. Do you know, I have friends online, and again, they post all the highlights, right? So I have friends that post, they've lost so much weight. Some of them lost, like, I think it was like one guy lost like 60 pounds in six months. And so I privately messaged him. I wasn't going to ask where everybody else could see it. I privately messaged him and was like, hey, dude, you lost like 60 pounds in six months. That's 10 pounds in a month. It's like, yeah, it's amazing. So I privately just, I don't want other people to know I'm asking these questions. And so I asked, like, what did you do? Like, how did you lose that much weight? Well, Chad, I started eating better and I exercised weekly. I'm like, I went to the gym like five times a week. Well, I never text them back. <laughs> I know that. I wanted the trick. No, just tell me the one thing. Like, just what did you do that just like I sleep and the fat burns off? Like, tell me that. With weight, it's less bad, less bad stuff in, more good stuff, and you need to exercise. It takes work. With debt, it's the same. There's really only two options to get out of debt. One, earn more. But for most of us, it's not an earning problem. It's the second option. We need to spend less. We need to spend less than we make. Do you know that um, I'm not advertising this show because it really is not good, but there is a skit I saw on YouTube from Saturday Night Live. And it was kind of funny, but I don't remember all of it, so I'm not promoting it, <laughs> truthfully. But these couple were sitting at a table, and this financial advisor was there, and he wrote a book. And it literally was like the cover, 
the inside and the back. That's it. It's like taking a piece of paper, folding it, and that was it. And he was there, and he was trying to give them financial advice. And the title of the book was, Don't Spend What You Don't Have. That was the title of the book. And on the inside of the book, you want to know what it said? Don't spend what you don't have. And they were saying, yeah, and it was, this, it was this little skit, and it was just like, but what if we see like this TV, and we really, really want it? Do you have the money? No. Then don't buy it. Oh. And so it was just this funny clip, but how many of us will laugh at it and go, man, it's so true. Let's just put it on the credit card. Right? We do it to ourselves. It's not an income problem. It's a spending problem. We need to create a margin in our lives, a gap between what we earn and what we spend. But Chad, you don't understand my expenses. I understand that, but have you looked at your expenses? David Ramsey, he'll say that if you don't tell your money to go, it'll find its own place. I remember early in ministry, I went to a conference. It's called Elevation. It's for leaders. And we t- uh, Pastor Carlo takes the students and leadership students, and they go to this every year. But in this one, they've changed the layouts, all that kind of stuff. But the one year, it was for pastors in ministry from one to five years. And I remember the room was full of pastors who were literally probably our first, maybe second year in ministry. And Bill Markham came in, and he's an incredible communicator, incredible leader. And he was ready to do this presentation. I forget on what it was. But all of a sudden, he stood there, and he's like, hey, look, I got all my notes. I'm ready to go. But I just feel like I need to ask, since you guys are just starting out, like, what questions do you have? And one of the biggest questions that just kept coming up and coming up in the room was um, managing our finances when you're brand new in ministry. You got student loans and and, um, not making a whole pile of money. And so he started talking. And what he talked about was our needs over our wants. Here's the thing. God promises that we'll have all that we need. He never promises that you'll have all that you want. But you'll have all that you need. And if you don't have what you need, maybe you're spending money on what you want more than what you need. So we talked about it earlier. You need a car to get to work possibly, but do you need a new car? Do you need that car? Or could you get something else? You probably need a phone. Most of us today, we need a phone. But do you need the best phone? Do you need the newest phone? Do you need the big plan that's unlimited everything? Or maybe we need to limit ourselves. We need to eat. We won't argue that. We all need to eat. But we don't need to eat steak every night. We don't have to go through the drive-thru. We can actually eat at home. I saw another post online and it really kind of hit me because it did the math and I think it did the math for just only three days a week, not five, but three days a week if you bought your lunch and it was $10 a time, it was $30 and they did the math over a year, how much it added up and then on the very bottom it slapped me right across the face and it just said, it's not that you can't take a vacation, you just don't like to make sandwiches. (laughs) 
When you see stuff like that and if you actually think of yourself, not other people, it really hits you. See, maybe you're like me and you want coffee. I like coffee. But you want to know something? Melissa, I think it was for Father's Day, she bought me a coffee maker for home that has its own little program on it. So in the morning, it actually, like, I have to set it up and I just press one button and in the morning, it kicks on itself. And so when my alarm goes off on my phone and I wake up, the first thing I breathe in is this heavenly smell of coffee. And it helps me get out of bed in the morning. But I drink coffee at home. And then I actually have, if I can confess, can we have a confessional time? Is that okay? Please don't judge. Don't judge, okay? I don't judge you. Don't judge me. I actually have three different coffee makers in my office. I know. I have a Keurig machine for like quick on the go, and then I have a normal coffee maker, and then I have an espresso maker. I said, don't judge. I have an issue, okay? But can I, can I tell you something? Because of the coffee maker at home and the coffee maker in my office, I've stopped going through the drive-thru for coffee. Now, if you go through the drive-thru for coffee, that's totally up to you. It's totally fine. I'm not saying that. But for me, I realized after Father's Day till just a little while ago, how much more money I have because I haven't bought coffee. Now, is it wrong to buy coffee? No. But as long as you know where your money is going, as long as you know that if in a week you bought a coffee one day, the way the math works, it's $10. And that's just one a day, only during Monday to Friday. And do you want to know what the math of that is? That's $520 in a year. And I'm keeping it low. One. Now, do we have more money than we realize? Do we have more money than we actually think? Because see, here's the thing. If we're responsible with our money, if we're responsible with it, Proverbs 15, 16 says this. Better a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Do you realize that money will not solve your problems? A lot of times having more money creates more problems. Unless we understand how to control our spending, it's not going to help. Winston Churchill, he said this, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. When you give, it brings joy to your life. It brings happiness to your life. Proverbs 22, 9 says, He who has a generous eye will be blessed, for he gives up his bread to the poor. Acts 20, 35 says, It is more blessed to give than to receive. See, we teach our kids this, right? Right around Christmas time, around this time, right as they're walking through every store going, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that, I want that. It's Better, it's more blessed to give than to receive. We, we teach our kids this, but we forget as adults. Until Halloween, right? When we want their candy. Right? 
we teach these things, but do we apply them to our own lives? Because see, there's three levels of giving. The first level is spontaneous giving. Spontaneous giving is reaction. Spontaneous giving is uh, you see a need, you fill a need. There's nothing wrong with that. You're just like, oh, if people need help, I'm going to help them. That's fine. And even in our society today, to be a spontaneous uh, giver, to be a spontaneous person, um, it's still a little bit weird. But you want to know where you get a little, like, the next level weird? The next level weird are the strategic givers. These people are a little crazy. See, strategic givers actually plan it out. They're in the church what you would call a tither, somebody who tithes to the church. They plan, you know, every paycheck, they're going to give this amount, or they plan, like some people, like they're going to give to this charity this amount all the time. They're the ones who are crazy enough to plan this stuff out. Strategic planners think ahead, and they understand the biblical principle of giving and they give God their first and their best. See, I believe a lot of times when it comes to the church and when we start talking about tithing to the church and giving 10% to the church, see, tithe means 10th. A lot of times that's when people automatically say all the time, well, Chad, I believe a tithe is Old Testament. It doesn't apply to the new church. I'll say every time, that's totally fine. You can give 11%, you can give 13 you can give 15%. But if we're truly honest, the only reason we dislike the tithe and the 10% is because if we're honest with ourselves, we just want to keep more. If we're truly honest, if we're truly honest, it's not, Chad, it's not that I believe tithing's Old Testament, it's I just actually want to keep more of my money. The strategic givers, they're crazy enough to believe that they live better on the 90% than the 100%. Because earthly math, it doesn't work, but godly math, it works. Chad, how do you, expl you explain that math to me? I can't. But I can guarantee you there's enough testimonies to prove it. And I challenge you, I've done it before, I challenge you to try tithing for six months. Well, why six months? Because as soon as you start, something's going to go wrong. Not speaking that prophetically over you. The enemy's just a punk. He's a jerk. And so the moment you step out in faith, he's going to try to trip you up. It's just what he does. But I'm telling you what he's going to do. So when it happens, you don't go, what just happened? You go, Chad warned me. It's the idiot. He's bugging me. And you just leave Satan alone and you keep pressing in. You do what God's asked you to do and he will be faithful. The next people are even crazier. This is the third level. These ones are a little bit nuts. They're the sacrificial givers. Now, when we say sacrificial givers, we don't mean give and make your family starve. That's not what we mean. But sacrificial givers, they understand that the material things in their lives are not theirs. These people have got to a point in understanding that everything we have, as Scripture says, everything we have is God-given. So therefore, these people... They understand that whatever we have, we're just stewards of. So when you find walking down the street and you find a tuning and you pick it up and you're like, sweet, Chad was talking about not spending $2 on a coffee, but this is like free tuning, so it's a free coffee. No, what I'm saying is when you pick it up, do you actually take a minute, even over a tuning, to go, God, why did you put this in my path? Yeah. 
Now, when we talk about a toonie, you're like, yeah, no problem. I'll ask God. God, what do you want me to do with a toonie? I just, I'm just going to drop it in this guy's parking meter. God bless him. But what if God gives you 200 bucks? What if he gives you 2,000? What if the whole idea of you getting $2,000, even though you've prayed and you know that you have an $1,800 need, that all of a sudden you get it in this hand and you ask God and he actually says that you're supposed to do this and give it away. But Chad, I was just praying for the need that God just filled, but what if that's not the need, that's not the fulfillment that he wants? He wants you to give it away. And by giving it away, he actually meets it even more than you ever dreamed of. Sacrificial givers, they delight in sharing. Luke 12, 48 says this, From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Are you being faithful what's been entrusted to you? Maybe... Maybe I haven't gotten more. Maybe God hasn't blessed me with more because I'm not fully being faithful with what he's already given me. Do we do this with our kids? Listen, you can, you can stay out tonight till 10 o'clock. Hey, you've been out to, at 10, you've been home at 10 every night. You can have 11. This makes sense. When we show up at a brand new job, we understand if I'm faithful and I work hard and I prove to my bosses that I can be trusted, they will trust me with more. When I show up for sports, when I show up to play hockey or play baseball, if I show up to a baseball team for the very first time, you want to know where I know I'm batting? Last. Why? Because they don't know me. Can this guy actually even swing a bat? Can we trust him? And as I begin to hit more and they realize I can hit, I might move up in the order. Why do we understand this in all areas of life, but when it comes to the Lord, we don't. We think it's different. Right here, scripturally. Who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from who has been, given, has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Are we listening to what he asks? So today we have a choice. Today we decide of what level of giving you will be. Maybe you're here and you are a spontaneous giver. That's good. I'm glad that you will meet a need when there's a need. But today I challenge you, be a little weirder. Start strategically thinking about how you're going to give. If you've never tithed, try it. Maybe you're a strategic giver already. Take the next step and be a sacrificial giver. Ask God, God, you have blessed me with all of these things. And I realize today they're all yours. So what are you asking me to do with it? And learn to live a life with margin. Start today. Spend less than you make. If you're not sure how to do that, here is the incredible thing. If you attend our church, you have access to Right Now Media. And if you don't have Right Now Media, email the church, info at BethelStratford.org, and we will get you to Right Now Media. On the very top when you log in, there's a little magnifying glass. It's called Search. What I want you to type in there, Dave Ramsey. Dave Ramsey is financial, like, 
guru, as if that's the proper way to say it. I know it's not, but you have free access to him. His material is not cheap, but you have free access to him. He will walk you through how to create this margin in your life. Today is just a quick message on trusting the Lord and being weird with our finances. If you need more, watch him. Listen to him. Apply it to your life. Here's the other side. Find somebody who's good with money. Find a mentor. Do you want to know something? I have mentors in my life in so many different areas of ministry. When it comes to my leading, my preaching, uh, the way I deal with the staff, um, everything. I have different mentors, ones for all those different areas. I have mentors in my life to help me with my marriage, to help me with my, uh, how to interact with my wife, how to interact with my kids, how to be a better dad. And I have mentors in my life how to deal with my finances. Why? Because I want to succeed in all of these areas in my life. So when I see somebody who's good at it, you want to know what I do? hey, can we connect? Can I, can I talk to you? Can I ask you some questions? If you're going to spend money on coffee, spend money on that coffee. Can I take you for coffee? Can we sit down? And I will pick your brain and find out how to do this. Find mentors in your life to succeed in different areas, but especially finances, because I don't know about you, But how many will honestly admit, you don't raise your hand, but you can just kind of nod if you believe it. If you had more margin in your life, your life would be less stressful. And I truly believe it's not an income, it's an expense, difficulty. Let's stand together. I'm going to close in prayer, and then you are free to go. Uh, This message for me, I'm not really going to open the front this morning. If you need prayer, one of the pastors would love to pray with you. But in this area, this service, this message, this is more of a go and do message than come to the front and pray message. And so I'm just going to challenge you to get connected to Right Now Media, listen to Dave Ramsey, find a mentor, begin to stretch yourself, give. If you've never given before, start. It will change your life in a good way. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for the time that you've had with us, Lord. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for speaking to us and challenging us and encouraging us. And Lord, I pray that for many of us in the room, you help us to create margin in our lives. Help us to create um, areas in our lives, Father, that we could be, have more access to give for you. And so, Lord, help us to follow your principles on giving and supporting and loving. And so, Lord, help us to be a light for you wherever we go. Bless us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message, Bethel Church Podcast. We hope that it's blessed you and encouraged you, and that you come back and check out next week's message as well.